0: They didn't offer um, help for people like me, people that I deemed and understood to be really broken. I never understood that these churches really um, were a place where I could find help and support. I always felt like I was um, uniquely broken. I was kind of a freak, you know, in Christian culture, uh, a guy dealing with same sex attraction. What do I do with that? And never really understanding that there was a way out for me.
1: We were not going to treat somebody with gender confusion or anything else like they've got leprosy. We want them to sit under the Word of God. We want them to feel comfortable. We want them to feel loved. We're not going to agree with what they're doing, but they also respected that I was not going to bend and I was going to teach the truth
0: and they were hungry for truth. We're kind of preaching this sort of smarmy, self-help thing that we call the gospel and it's not the gospel. It's not biblical. And so, how can pastors and churches walk alongside of somebody, whether it's someone coming out of the LGBT community, somebody involved in a polyamorous relationship where there's multiple partners? Don't tell
1: me that God is not the living God and if you've got temptation or sexual attractions that he can't help you and stop you because he can. He's the living God, and it's time Christians believe that he's the living God.
0: Well, hey, everybody. Uh, again, Gary Ingram of Love and Truth Network here. I'm so excited for a second podcast to be joined by my uh, former pastor for a num- many years, actually, uh, the pastor of the church that I worked at on staff for 12 years, the pastor who was crazy enough to actually hire me um, after, uh, you know, he and so many others knew of my broken background, uh, the pastor that God has really used in many ways to uh, to be a spiritual father to me, a mentor, a coach, and um, not just in my life, but in the life of of so many people, and so John Hawke, It's so great to have you here with us Thanks again for, for the second me, podcast. This yeah, yeah. It's been a wonderful time just to catch up with you again as well. So for those of you who are who are watching or listening in uh, and you didn't catch last week's uh, episode, I would encourage you to go back. Uh, Pastor John and I had conversation really um, about philosophy of ministry. He shared his testimony, uh, shared a little bit just about his own, the journey that God has had him on in different churches that he's been in and things that he, he has learned over the way, uh, over the years. And then also um, just advice that he had, uh was giving for those who feel called into ministry, some some um, particular areas of uh, drawing their attention uh, to what could be helpful for them if they're feeling that sense of call into ministry. And um, so I'll leave the the rest for you to uh, to go back and unpack um, and see for yourself. But this uh, particular episode, I really want to just share, and I have two two kind of different sets two sets of people in mind. Um, it really could be for anybody. Obviously, if you're watching this and you're and you're not fitting within neatly within the two uh, categories that I'm calling out, please uh, watch and enjoy it anyway. But I'm thinking of um, those who are struggling with uh, sexual addiction, those who are struggling with other forms of addiction. Um, you you uh, may relate to some of my own story. My story um, is one of uh, coming out of the um, LGBT community coming out of uh, uh, a gay identity and uh, you and you yourself may not be dealing with that at all you may have a, maybe a, a pornography addiction that's heterosexual or um, or you're used to hooking up with um, someone of the opposite sex or whatever and and that's become a uh, obviously that's sin if you're not if you're not married and having sex with your um, spouse um, but anything outside of that uh, the scriptures are very clear that that's sin so regardless of what you're struggling with sexually or other wise, uh, hopefully there'll be something in this that I think um, would be helpful for you. But the second category of people, um, and, and this is of, of just as much importance, maybe even a tiny bit more, um, and this is the reason for um, really having Pastor John involved in this conversation is, what does a church do when someone like me <laughs> comes into your congregation? What does a church do when someone like me reaches out to you and is looking for help and support? Uh, I think that's a, many, many pastors, many churches, Churches are wrestling with those questions and not I mean some of some churches frankly are little um, kind of you know, stuck in tradition and care, frankly, more about the traditions of men than, than the reality that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, uh, and to, uh, he came as a physician to heal the sick. And so, uh, we as a church need to be about the business of seeing God transform lives, uh, through, through our ministry in their life, through, uh, through the way that we live and the things that we're saying and sharing with them so critical, uh, that we as a church embrace those, um, those things in people's lives. Um, but there's other churches now that many, many other churches, I think where, where younger men, younger women have grown up in a much more kind of traditional, um, legalistic, uh, fundamentalist kind of perspective. And they don't want to be anything like that. And you know what? I I applaud that. But the, unfortunately the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction. And now, uh, to accommodate and, and, uh, out of a fear of offending anyone. Um, now we've we've really, we're not preaching a gospel of repentance. We're not preaching a gospel that calls us to die to ourselves, to be resurrected again with Christ, to live a new life. We're kind of preaching this sort of smarmy self-help thing that we call the gospel. And it's not the gospel. It's not biblical. And so how can pastors and churches walk alongside of somebody, whether it's someone coming out of the LGBT community, somebody involved in a a polyamorous relationship where there's multiple partners, by the way, that's going to become a bigger and bigger thing in culture and that the church is going to have to address um, and and do in a way that uh, offers real life. and whether it's somebody who's identity confused uh you know as in terms of whether they're transgender or um or some other uh, no, uh gender non-binary or whatever um pansexual what are the how's the church going to walk alongside of and minister to those folks so I really want to use a little bit of my story to give you some framework for that and obviously doing this in conjunction with Pastor John um and and, and as the as the senior pastor of the church that was so helpful for me you know back in the day um, gosh, what would it have been 25 years ago or uh, 20 years ago even. So, Uh, Let me just dive in and say uh, there's, if you go to our website, loveandtruthnetwork.com, my testimony is out there, both in a a very uh, truncated, reduced version of several minutes, 10 minutes, and another one that's as long as 45 minutes long. My wife's is out there. We have other people's testimonies out there. If you're interested, kind of in the full testimony, you can go there. I'm not going to share that now. There's no time for it. But let me just dive in uh, and say that, you know, I was one of the things that that i did As a means of um, of kind of dealing with life, and it was an unhealthy way of dealing with life. It was an unhealthy way of coping. But when things got hard, I learned to quit and move on. I learned I I oftentimes would pick up and and move to a different state. I would sometimes pick up and move to a different town, different area. And so by doing that, I wound up kind of moving all over the country. I lived up and down the East Coast. I lived in Texas twice. I lived in California. I lived in Arizona several times. I lived in Chicago. Uh, So really. Made this this circuit um, all around, you know, down from from uh, the northeast where I grew up in upstate New York, where I was uh, born and raised, and um, and moving up and down the East Coast, and this kind of making this circuit around the country. And by the time I um, I kind of landed in Chicago in my early 30s and was working for a plastics manufacturing company, um, my by this time I had um, had given my life to Christ a number of years earlier. And and had really had a full surrender to Him was really was walking in um, a lot of obedience, a lot of discipleship, uh, very um, uh, profound experience with with God, with Jesus Christ in my um, early to mid twenties. And so by the time I kind of landed in my my early to mid thirties, I'd already uh, gotten married, had um, a marriage that only lasted for several years. My wife left. I was devastated by the divorce and really angry with God that He didn't heal my marriage. So all this time, though, I would um, visit with uh, a couple of friends back in my hometown on occasion. I would sometimes go back and visit my parents and I would visit some of these friends. And over the course of time, I would be I would hear about this church called Union Center Christian Church. And my parents actually started going to Union Center as well. And so I, I was hearing from them. I'm hearing from other friends. I, what I kept hearing is even though I was attending good churches in many of these um, states that I was living in, and I had gotten myself into a real mess. Um, as a Christian, I had gotten myself back into this world, the LGBT world and, and really bound up in a lot of addiction. Uh, and I was living in Chicago now at the time. Um, and, and again, working in, in outside, uh, in, in, uh, sales and I would go back to my hometown and I would visit with, um, uh, with my family, with my with my parents, and I would attend Union Center, this church that I kept hearing about. And I, as I started to say, I had attended a lot of good churches around the country and well-meaning uh, churches, good churches in many respects, but none of the churches really offered... Um, at least, not in terms of like a front window experience. They they didn't offer um, help for people like me, people that I deemed and understood to be really broken. Whether that's they might have had an AA program going on, they might have had um, Celebrate Recovery, they might have had I don't even know what year Celebrate Recovery started, but they might have had something like that um, for you know for some time in some of these churches where I was, but but. I never understood that these churches really um, were a place where I could find help and support. I always felt like I was um, uniquely broken. I was kind of a freak, you know, in Christian culture, uh, a guy dealing with same-sex attraction. What do I do with that? And never really understanding that there was a way out for me. So... When I would come back home and I would um, attend Union Center Christian Church, I I recognized that there was something about it that was different than other churches I'd been at, even really good churches. And I think the thing that stuck out to me was some of the language that um that the that Pastor John and others would use in terms of like they didn't just um eliminate uh. All language around sexual brokenness. I mean, there would be times in in a message that uh, the topic of pornography would come up, or the um uh it was it, it was or the the idea of brokenness, or people getting healed up within the church from uh from adulterous relationships and their marriages being healed. And as I'm hearing this kind of stuff, I'm like, what? I mean, we're gonna the people at churches are actually talking about this, and it wasn't just something that goes on behind closed doors and then we pretend that none of this is happening. And instead, Union Center was really giving glory to. God for the work that he was doing, the revival that was taking place in the church. And what it did for me as I would visit is it, it gave me hope, but it also created in my, in my gut, just this longing to be there, but I wasn't there. I was living in Chicago. So what am I supposed to do? And so I, I caught pastor John one Sunday. I probably had been attending, coming to the church maybe three times over the course of the prior year. And I, I was in the church one Sunday. He was walking down the hallway of the kid's wing and I I just said, hey, could I email you? And he tossed out his email to me. and um, And I remembered it, an easy email to remember. And I got back to Chicago and I basically typed up this email to him and Vomited on the page and told him, you know, what I was doing. I was, I was caught up in, um, you know, my weekends were, and, and my weeknights many times were surrounded by uh, adult bookstores and gay bars and anonymous sexual encounters. And I despise what I'm doing, but I don't know how to stop what I'm doing. And I'm just miserable. I had given my life to, I mean, I explained the whole thing. And I, and, and, um, and I just said, I wonder if there's any hope uh, for me. And, and I, I'm wondering about moving back to my hometown and coming to this church. And, you know, a lot of pastors probably would have scrambled to be like, you know what, Chicago's a big place. There's probably some churches there, you know, God forbid you come back here, <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, and, and so I'm going to find you some help and hope there. Uh, but instead, you know, John emailed back to me and I don't remember the, 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 um, the extent of everything that he said, but the, the message that came across to me loud and clear is, Gary, if you want to walk, if you want to move back here, we will walk with you. If you want to move back here, we'll walk with you. And, and that just gave me so much hope. I mean, I really couldn't get out the door fast enough. I met with my boss at the time, who was a Christian, who now is on our ministry uh, board. And, um, and I, I just said, look, my life is, is I'm dying here. I, I am addicted. I don't know how to stop what I'm doing. And I don't know if you uh, will allow me to transfer with the company back to the Northeast, but um, if not, I have to quit. And so God had so prospered my my business and my career and was using me um, in to, to grow the the company that he said, you know what, Gary, I've, I can justify you moving back to the area, even though it's not where we'd prefer to have you. And so I transferred back right away, got in and I got into counseling right away. I got in that counseling was with um, Pastor John and somebody else from the counseling ministry. I got into a small group immediately, and that really began this journey of, um, you know, of of restoration that I could never even have imagined or hoped for. Um, my up to this point, I kept thinking. If um and this has been true for years, if I could just stop doing all the naughty things, all the addicted things, all the bad things that I was doing, like that's gonna that's the pinnacle of the Christian experience, which of course is a joke. That's not what God God doesn't just have for us the idea of not sinning. God has this whole other open um, you know, feel before us of of ministry uh and and meaningful purpose in his kingdom and this sense of deep belonging within the body of Christ. Um that, is, that as we press into that, these other things that are so binding to us that feel like we have to engage in them, the power of those really can be broken and diminished by pressing into the more that God has for us. So that's a, a big, long kind of rambling opening, I know, but I'm just wondering... Um, and John, I don't even know if you remember back to that. You probably don't remember the initial email, but you may remember some of the um, some of the early times. And, and we didn't do counseling for like you know twenty sessions or something. It was several sessions of meeting and praying through some areas. Um, but you know what? What do you recollect? Um, kind of from the beginning of of meeting with me, besides, oh my gosh, this guy is
1: so so screwed up. It's kind of funny, Gary, because um, really. One of the things I have to go on record first saying is that we had a great church. Yeah, it's true. Trying to keep it together here because one of the things I want to say that Mm. some of our old Union Center people might listen into this, and I want to say one of my sins was I didn't appreciate you as much as I should have if I was ever uh, snot or Mm. ungrateful, I feel so ashamed about that and just say praise God for you because, and what I'm talking about wasn't just pastoral staff. We had a great church with lay people who were serving right. and were intentional and knew what they were doing. The, fir- the first illustration I'll use yes. about this is I remember one time a uh, a black brother in our assembly leaving furiously because somebody was manifesting poor behavior in regard to race. And I didn't know about it. Mm. I was devastated. But at the same time, I realized we've got a mole here. We've got something not right. And when it came to you coming back, I guess by then we had enough people on the front line that we were not going to treat somebody with gender confusion or anything else like they've got leprosy. We want them to sit under the word of God. We want them to feel comfortable. We want them to feel love. We're not going to agree with what they're doing. And I can remember, um, yep. God just blessed that because I remember at least two, maybe more, um, lesbian couples that used to come and sit under the preaching of my word. They knew I loved them, I, and I love them to this day, but they also... Respected that I was not going to bend and I was going to teach the truth, and they were hungry for truth. So I have to let the Holy Spirit work Mm -hmm. that out. So I remember the email vaguely, and I know what I, my response would have been this, Gary, because in those days I was so full of hope and full of. Um, belief that God is a deliverer and that he can change us and that yes. either the gospel is true or it isn't. And for me, it was true. And I saw how many things he changed in my life. And so when I got your email, it was like, well, this is a new category of problem uh, that most churches aren't really ready for. I'm not sure I'm ready for, but I do know that God is ready. And if this brother is willing to go through his paces, if you will, I'm going to trust that God's going to do something. And that's how I felt. And that's why I wrote you what I wrote. If you want to walk with us, we'll walk with you and we'll see what God does. And I do remember we had two or three sessions maybe where my my forte was warfare. And and I know we worked worked Mm -hmm. through some bondages that were definitely demonically inflicted. And... And then I think yep. more healing happened with other staff and even lay staff that were ministering to you, people like Patty and, and uh, uh, Craig and whoever. I don't remember everybody that was involved, but one of the big gold stars that I give to our church people were, were, was that men's group. And, uh, you know, these were yep. country guys, you know, we're going out hunting and blowing away the Bambi's, you know, and all of that. And they just loved on you. I'll never forget your description of how they embraced you. And it was mind blowing, you know, pulling you out of your chair to yes. hug you in a godly way. Yep. Just had an impact on yep. you. And And, you know, we never know when a mere touch is going to have a healing impact. And so- I just walked by faith in that whole thing and God took care of the rest. That's really what happened.
0: Yeah. Well, in that experience, uh, in the men's group, I mean, the, the truth is when I heard, I've been in, in counseling, um, for several months, kind of off and on, um, it, it had shifted from you to some others and, and it wasn't a weekly thing. It was it, again, spiritual warfare. Isn't like this long drawn out 20, you know, whatever, how many sessions, but, um, periodically I would, um, I would come in and do some, some of that was discipleship. Some of that was warfare, but, um uh, sitting under the teaching uh, and the preaching that was so solid doing uh, some ongoing counseling but then the regularity of every week being in a small group as well uh, was was really helpful very impactful but I remember sitting in the service, and 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 one of the guys got up from the men's group, and I think the men's group had been on like hiatus for the summer or something. And they they got up and they started um, uh, talking about it, starting up in the fall. And I I I immedi- had this visceral reaction of I mean, frankly, it was like, well, there ain't no way in hell I'm going to that. I mean, that's kind of how you know I thought. Well, that's that's good for those guys. And 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 it almost I mean, immediately, I don't think there was hardly a heartbeat a uh, heartbeat of diff, uh, skip or whatever between when I thought that and i felt like the holy spirit said oh, oh yes you are and um and so you know we had a little bit of arguing and wrestling and but i was in this place uh for once in my life uh, or maybe a couple of times in my life where i was hungry to you know that statement that you made in the last podcast about yes god what's the question i was in that that position of surrender and so there was a little bit of fussing and a little bit of arguing on my part and i was not happy about it but i obeyed and i eventually you know i went but For the longest time, the truth is I... Because I grew up in a Christian home, because I had memorized lots of Scripture, trying to battle my temptations and all kinds of things. I'd gone to Bible college. I didn't finish Bible college at the time, but I had gone to Bible college, and I'd, so I could run circles around probably you know any one of those guys in the men's group when it comes to the Bible. And of course, that's a lot of what I did. And what I what I oftentimes say now is what I've realized is that most Christians are doing that with one another. It's not they're not coming out of the same background I came out of. They're not. I'm not saying. That, But what they're often doing is we're putting our quote unquote best foot forward. And what that actually is, is it's lying. It's a form <laughs> of, it's a, it's a way in which we say I'm better than what I actually am. And I need you to think that I'm okay when inwardly I'm not okay. Or when I'm going to live this, I'm going to open this drawer of my Christian life um, around all of you. And then I'm going to go home and, and, you know, turn on my computer and look at porn, or I'm going to go to the pantry. I'm going to devour, you know, um, eat stuff that I shouldn't be eating. Eating, whatever the case is. And we live, we have these double lives that we live. So I didn't even know what I was doing at the time. I didn't recognize that for what it was until much later, but I did that for several, several months. And, um, and then eventually we all went to this promise keepers conference that came up and, uh, and I thought we had gone for the weekend and we, I think we met on Monday nights as a men's group. And I thought to myself coming back to that, I thought, well, these guys are never going to be more spiritual than they are right now coming off of promise keepers. And, and, uh, and so I thought, and I knew I'd known for several weeks, the Lord was pressing on me to tell my story a little bit. Um, you know, not in gratuitous detail in any way, but just to at least name, you know, homosexuality and pornography addiction and some of those things. And I had been resisting. i like, no way. And then, but finally after this promise keepers conference, I thought, all right, I it's now is the now was the time and so i shared with the group a little bit about that stuff and um it got real quiet i was so i still remember the the pattern of the carpet you know kind of emblazed <laughs> into my mind cuz i'm staring down at it as i'm talking so full of shame and it was the leader of the group who is a layperson not a, a pastoral staff or anything, uh, who came over to me and stuck his hand out, and I thought, oh, you know, this is better than I thought. You know, I'd hope no one would leave the room, and they didn't. And he, but he took my hand, and rather than shaking it, he pulled me out of my seat and gave me this huge bear hug and just said, Gary, we are so glad that you're here and you belong with us. And I mean, I, I was in my early thirties and never heard, not even not heard those words, but never received a hint of of um, of anything of welcome by the by the world of men within Christianity, having grown up in the church, having, it was, um, I was always different. I was always other, I wasn't like other guys and all that stuff and more feminine in, in a lot of these characteristics and interested in more kind of artsy things than, than working on cars or whatever. And, and so, um, you know, is that was powerful. And then half the room got up and stood behind this guy to hug me. I'm like, I'd never experienced it. And so I look back at that as, as one of these stones of remembrance, you know, that the Lord showed up in such a powerful way. And then it was, you know, weeks and months and years of being with these guys that in my 30s, I, I look I am absolutely convinced that God did for me and this community of men what He would have desired my father to do had my dad known that it was really even needed or had the capacity to do it himself. My dad was alive at this time, and I love my dad. And my dad and I developed a very close relationship later in life. But man, during my teenage years, I, I despised him. I didn't want to have any. I didn't want to be like him. I, it was awful. And um, but God used these men in many ways to refather my heart, to shepherd my heart, and to and to awaken this kind of acorn or seed of masculinity. That I felt like had been lying dormant almost all of my life, and I felt like a husk of a man. I felt like I had the outer husk of a of a of a corn ear of corn, and there was nothing on the inside. And um, and God began to grow um, this this sense of masculinity and to produce something in me I never even thought was possible. I didn't, I didn't even know I was missing it. I just knew something wasn't there. And it was it was really through this men's group and through the ministry of Union Center and the way my life connected with so many others, yourself included, that God began to grow something that had never, for 30 years, had been lying dormant.
1: And I'm thinking about, while you were talking about this, I wanted to speak a word into ministry people, uh, their thinking for a minute. Yes. And that is, um, I think it was um, Warner, uh, Rick Warren, uh, who said... um, Hmm. a a long ministry, a long-term ministry does not guarantee you'll have success, but a short-term one does guarantee you won't have success. And I'm listening to your story here and I'm going, you don't do this in a week or one year. You have to have longevity. And even my recent reading, Akempa says, some people think if they can just remove themselves from the circumstance, you know, I hate this church, or I hate this, or I hate, and if I can just move myself somewhere else, I'll do better. And they've been deceived by that. Trusting God to move in on your circumstance and change it and work it. Don't give up on that unless you hear a clear word that says you're done because longevity pays off, you know? And, um, and so I just wanted to put that out that there's there's something about hunkering yep. down and utilizing the means of grace. We can't forget that in discipleship there are means of grace. Yep. These groups are means of grace. Studying yep. your word is means of as gra- a means of grace. Prayer is a means of grace, but it's all together. Worshiping together is a means of grace. You can't neglect that yes. without some cost, you know? You know, but then we Absolutely. also need the means yep. of grace that are more interventionist, if you will, by the Holy Spirit through people and, you know, whatever it, whatever it, whatever it takes. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, I totally agree. And as you say that, it reminds me of a couple of things. Um, And this is, this is a corollary to what I, what I want to say. So for example, within marriage, it's not a 50, 50 relationship. It's a hundred, a hundred percent. Right. So I need, so um, uh, the idea is, is that I give a hundred percent of myself, not 50% of myself. That Melissa gives a hundred percent of herself, not 50% of herself. And of course there's going to be days when we're not giving, you know, and, and, but the, but the, the, the goal, the striving is to, is to not just offer, I'm going to give you tit for Tad, I'm going to give you 50% of my, no, it's, it really is this movement toward, uh, giving fully in a similar way. The scriptures teach that if I've offended someone, I need to go to them and make that right. The scriptures also teach that if I've been offended. I need to go to somebody and make that right. And, And those two things are, are correlation or corollary to the reality that, um, union center, um, was no church is perfectly whole. No church is perfect by any stretch, but union center was whole enough that, that the men in that church and and the women too, but what I really needed was guys to, 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 for the Lord to pour in, in a way that really touched areas of masculinity, that the feminine really is not equipped to, 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 to do. And, um, and so I needed union center, but also there was a responsibility that I had so that when, when something dumb was said or something, um, not well thought out was said, and that happened, of course, um, on, on people's part, I needed to show the kind of grace that, um, that I wanted them to show toward me. And, and so it was this, I needed to lean in and not, I really felt like the Lord was saying, I want you to bind yourself to this church the way you would bind yourself to a mast in a storm that if you don't wanna get blown off the ship, if you don't want the storm to drown you, bind yourself to that strongest part of the ship and stay with it because it's gonna be stormy, it's gonna be difficult, you're gonna to wanna to go back, and I certainly did, uh, this journey out of the LGBT community and out of this identity that I had come under the spell of or under the lure of and had embraced for myself for all this time and had acted on, that didn't just go away in uh, you know this nonsense of pray the gay away, um, it didn't just, God didn't just snap his fingers and poof, it's all gone. It was a process both of discipleship and putting... Walking with others as they were willing to walk with me in this process, Um, and and again, it wasn't done perfectly, but it was done well enough, and and it required me to grow up, um, and and to become part of that growing up and becoming a man, and and coming out of my boyhood. Um, There's plenty of uh, men running around in their 30s and 40s and 50s who are emotional boys. They're eight or nine or ten years old, and that's true for women as well. God wants to call us up into this greater adulthood. And, but he does it in the, we're broken in in relationship and we're made whole in the context of relationship. And so this, this process of discipleship and this process of, of doing life together is what God used in my life to really transform me over time.
1: You know, and the other, the other thing I think about is, um, when, when you were talking about that emotional brokenness and immaturity, I, I couldn't help, but go back to Scazzaro's book, which I've recommended, you know, Emotionally Healthy Christianity. And how people react to it? Yes, uh, I can't get through the the list page of Do you react this way and I'm going? Oh crud! You know what I mean? Because during the glory <laughs> right. days of Union Center, the pastor wasn't perfect either. He was certainly broken, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, but leaning on God. And uh, I think that's the issue. Other people read that and they don't see anything there. You know, it's like, am I pressing in and mm-hmm. looking to God? I'm going to say this. You know, we're a faith community. Well, faith is manifested mm-hmm. in obedience. The, uh, that has yes. comforted me a billion times. When the Holy Spirit said to you, bind yourself to that mask, mast, not the yep. mask, the mask. Yep. Yeah, let the mask go, yeah, the mask yeah, go. The mask and bind, go, yourself, bind to yourself to the mask. The mask. Yeah. <laughs> That's an act of obedience to say, okay, I'm doing that. I, is it going to yes. work? I don't know yet. You know, we're going to pray deliverance over Gary Ingram. This guy that came from Chicago with all his problems, is it going to work? I don't know yet, Yep. but it did. And right. I, guess, I guess what I'm looking to yes. is that if the Bible says that the children of Israel couldn't enter the joy of the promised land, you know, Hebrews, so we see, you know, they yes. rebelled, they squawked, they complained, but that wasn't the issue. The root was unbelief. Yep they could not enter because of unbelief. Yes, yep. Don't tell me that God is not the living God. And if you've got temptations or sexual attractions, that he can't help you and stop you because he can. He's yep. the living God. And yep. it's time Christians believe that he's the living God. I know I'm preaching.
0: No, no, that's exactly true. And and uh, I'm gonna we'll wrap this up in the next uh, minute or two. But I I want to springboard off of that because um, as you're saying that that's a perfect segue into something that was occurring to me a, a few minutes ago. And I want to just leave those listening uh, or watching the podcast. I want to leave you with this idea. Is is and and really as you describe that, Pastor John, you're describing an environment of what Union Center was that was so such rich soil for me because um one of the things that really frustrates me is how um it frustrates me and at the same time i like i understand it and there's a part of me that um appreciates the um what's the word I want to, use? The, the fact that, that I think many churches love and care about the LGBT community and they want to do right by them. They want to share the gospel with them. But in the process of, of wanting to do that, um, they're actually, they, they believe that God is so powerless to so in, impact their life that they're actually selling us a bill of goods less than what it should be. They actually are hoping for us less than what they hope for other people. And, and, and it's not, again, it's not out of lack of love or or compassion, but what I want to say to these pastors is that, would you please stop doing that? Would you please don't put us through, you know, some kind of artificial timeline that, uh, you know, let, let God put us on his timeline and, and yes, work with us, uh, call out sin, those kinds of things, but love us, walk with us, be patient with us. Um, but stop believing that God can't impact our lives, those who are in the LGBT community, or those gender non-binary, those that have, uh, have uh, are confused about their identity and all that, believe God for more for us. And, and in that process, believe that God can bring such richness. I've now been married to Melissa going on 16 years. I'm the father. We're the the, the parents of, of two boys, 11 and 13 years of age. I never dreamt that that was even possible. I, um, Nor was it desired on my part at one time. I was exclusively same-sex attracted for a number of years when I identified as a gay man. And so the idea that God would take something that I wasn't even neutral about, that I was actually resistant to being a husband to a, a, a woman and being a father uh, to children and actually turn that t- into today, what are two of the greatest joys of my life, being a husband, being a father to these boys. I mean, that is a God thing. And, um, and, and, and I'm not saying that that's going to be everyone else's story who comes out of the LGBT community, but I feel like the church so often, well-meaning Christian leaders put a low ceiling yes. over our head. So yes. stop doing that. Love us enough to, to have a wide open ceiling to what God wants to do in our lives. But part of that is we need to stop encouraging people to embrace an identity that if they were to act on would be sin. The identity itself is more foundational than what we do with our bodies. And um, it feeds into what we do with our bodies. It feeds into what we think and what we believe to be true. And so um, I just want to encourage pastors and Christian leaders to, to to come back to a place where we see people through the lens of being made in the image of God as either male or female one of the two and that's it and also believing that God created sex um for uh this beautiful covenant container of of marital relationship between one man and one woman and anything outside of that God is calling us to repent of and to get on track with his plan and purpose even if it's that he's calling us into singleness for the rest of our lives to serve in his kingdom in a way that is uninterrupted. So anyway, I just wanted to wrap up with that. I need to jump to another, um, pastor John need to jump to another, uh, zoom, but it's been so great to be with you. And also I'm, I would love to reconnect and do, um, some further episodes with you on some other topics. Let's do it. And I'll just affirm
1: Gary, there are more trophies of grace out there, more trophies of grace.
0: Mm.
1: affirming what
0: you're saying. Absolutely. Thank you. Yep. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining us for this Love and Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast, and we look forward to seeing you in a future episode.